Local voices, local conversations. NapaBroadcasting.com Thanks for joining us once again here at NapaBroadcasting.com. For those of us here in Napa, it's refreshing to know that there's a candidate running for a state office who understands our unique and particular needs. Take a look at the races for assembly, for state senator. Most of the other candidates seem to be from Yolo County. Don't get me wrong, Yolo County and Davis are nice places. But our own Bill Dodd, currently our assemblyman, who is now running for state senator, brings a unique perspective as both a longtime Napa supervisor with the added benefit of a long history of seeing and understanding regional and state issues. It is my pleasure to welcome Assemblyman Bill Dodd to the program today. Bill, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure as usual, Jeff. Always great to have you. Uh, I have to begin by asking, you uh, served one term in the Assembly, or almost the end of one term, in what I think everybody would consider to be a safe seat. Why make this leap into this state Senate race? Well, you know, when I decided to run for the legislature, I really did it with the sheer intention of getting things done for people in my district and making California a you know, a better place for future generations. And as trite as sometimes that sounds, that's just been my mission. And every vote that I take is really steeped in, okay, how's that going to improve the quality of life for the people that live in my district? And how is this going to affect uh, future generations? And, you know, that, that for, for me, that is so important as a father of five and a grandfather of five. Uh, I look at the state of California that my parents and grandparents left me, and it was unbelievably good. I don't really feel like that's what my generation is leaving the next couple, and I think we have a good opportunity here in Sacramento to do that. And working in the Senate in a 40-member body as opposed to an 80-member body is, uh, you know, it's just a more effective way to get things done particularly in light of the experience that I've had in the assembly, which is very, very positive. I've gotten a lot done here. And uh, so I I really feel confident in my ability to get more done uh, for the district in the Senate. Talk a little bit about what you see in Sacramento these days. For a long time, I think it's fair to say that there was an awful lot of gridlock there, an awful lot of posturing, an awful lot of stuff that that didn't get done. Certainly since uh, Brown has been governor and in the past few sessions of the legislature, that seemed to change. There seems to be more of a a results-oriented approach taking place. Oh, absolutely. I am, you know, I've as you know, we're all good friends with you know with Mike Thompson, but he's been a a mentor to me in many respects. And uh, you know, just seeing what you know our congressmen have to go through and senators, for that matter, in Washington D.C. and it's absolute gridlock. Here, every bill that gets presented gets heard, it gets a vote, and it's so refreshing to see that uh, we can do things, you know, for the people of the state of California. And uh, yeah, I'm excited. And, you know, it's working across the aisle. As you know, I'm a moderate, and I work with you know, progressive Democrats, and I'll work on the other side with uh, you know moderate Republicans and more conservative uh, Republicans on you know on different issues. What are the issues that that you have found the most bipartisan support for? What are the issues where people seem to be working together well right now? Well, you know, I think um, I think there's an interest in working well together everywhere. Most recently, we had uh, you know the managed care uh, 
tax, which was a uh, you know something that uh, you know is in place, and we were getting you know billions of dollars of federal aid, and because of a federal ruling, we were able we weren't I mean we were just in a real pickle, and we were going to lose you know a billion to two billion dollars in in federal uh, funding, and one of the ways out was to extend a, a tax that was already there, and as you well know. Republicans uh, really found that to be objectionable, just, you know, any type of tax. Uh, for me, I was fine with it because I really felt like, uh, you know, it was just so important, not just to people that were on Medicare, but, you know, the doctors and dentists and healthcare providers that are so desperately needed in our communities are so totally underfunded in that system that it, it was a very, very worthy uh, objective. So interestingly enough, the uh, the Republicans uh, and the Democrats got together and worked on it, and, and essentially, uh, it, it was really the deal was sealed you know, over a part of the budget deal that would uh, give more money to those that are developmentally disabled, you know, in our communities all across the state. And so it was really a win-win, and that was a no-brainer for me, mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, to include that. And uh, so I think there's. When when we're really down and out, we really have to have something. I think, uh, you know, regardless of what it is, you know, we'll get it done. And I really am hopeful, like on a road, you know, a fix to our road situation. That's about a hundred and twenty, you know, five billion dollar problem over the next twenty five years, and we are stepping over dollars to pick up dimes here, uh, you know, in the state a lot budget wise particularly on things like this because you know when you when you have a a road need and you and I have talked about this in Napa right. over the years as we've tried measure H and then uh, the successful measure T uh, they don't go up by the consumer price index every year they go up by the percentage of roads that no longer can be you know uh, sealed but now have to be uh you know, for, and not even a pothole, but now have to be, you know, completely replaced. So sometimes that bill can go up eight times in it, you know, over over a period of years. So uh, it's something we need to get on, uh, you know, quickly. And you know, I, I'm not going to say it's uh, it's an environment uh, that uh, that is you know freewheeling and we're you know doing it every day. But you know, I think people will like the checks and balances and. Um, the the good thing is I think people can feel good about their state government as le- at least is considering every bill and working together to try to get them across the finish line where it benefits Californians. One of the things that certainly seemed to create a more partisan divide was the recent issue concerning increasing the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Talk a little bit about that. Well, you know, that was one, as a former business owner, that was uh, somewhat of a problem to me. And the problem only, the, the problem for me only um, was steeped in the fact that we did it in four days. Mm-hmm. And I just think that the, some of the people in the public felt left out of the process. We don't do anything in four days, right? It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's something that, uh, you know, all these things that, uh you know, the very, very difficult things seem to take a year or two to get uh, across the finish line. This one is, uh, you know, something, it, it, it was really because, I, I think, first of all, we, let's just step back. We do have to understand that we have over 25% of the 
people in the state of California are living below the federal poverty line. And so regardless if you agree with how this thing went down or what the policy procedure was, um, this is this has been part of our discussion in the state of California for a long time. And, um, uh, you know, the employee union, the SEIU, actually qualified two propositions on the ballot. And there was polling done that showed the state of California would favor the $15 an hour minimum wage, actually the $15 minimum wage now, by a vote of 68% of people in the state of California. Interestingly enough, I did a poll for my district, and we asked that question and many more because I wanted to find out how my uh, district was feeling on specific issues. And my district, uh, this Senate District 3, voted 71% for a $15 an hour minimum wage now. So um, that was kind of striking. And when you... When you allow uh, a ballot initiative uh, to go through on something as important as this, and and there was there really wasn't a lot of transition until it, it ramped up to fifteen dollars an hour. I think it was like, you know, maybe even two or three years. Where this one here is about five six years, um, actually a little bit more for small business. If we'd have wanted to have any changes at all to this, let's say the economy turned or interest rates went up, or some factors that really unemployment went up, you would have to change it by a vote of the people. And we've seen on things like Proposition 65 and and other things how difficult once uh, a ballot initiative has been passed to change it at all. So the governor negotiated with that. It was a a broad swath of, uh, you know, unions throughout, um, you know, throughout the state, but SEIU, since they were the sponsor of the ballot initiative, was was key in that. And essentially what it did is it gave the governor the ability to stop it. If, you know, factors like unemployment went up, inflation went up, uh, different indicators, because we know in the state of California, there's, it's like the tale of two cities. It seems as though that the, you know, the coastal counties are all doing fairly well. Mm-hmm. Economies uh, really moving in the right direction whereas the interior from Riverside to Modoc County are really hurting with high unemployment rates. And, you know, having a significant problem in the interior counties can bring our whole economy down in the entire state. So we have to be careful, and uh, I think this bill gives us that ability, gives the governor that ability, but then it gives the legislature the ability to move on legislation to fine-tune some of the things that weren't considered during this process or minute process. Right. Talk a little bit about that balancing act that goes on in Sacramento. You know, it's always easy to talk about partisanship and Republicans and Democrats. But as you say, in many ways, it's two separate states going on, part of the state that's doing so well and part not so well. How does that play out in Sacramento as you see it? Well, it plays out a lot. And, you know, when when there's a bill before the committee and you have an assembly member or senator, because you, as you re- recall, that Every bill in the Senate goes to the Assembly, as every bill in the Assembly goes through the Senate. They have to go through both houses. And when you hear your colleagues talk about 12 or 13 percent unemployment, let's just say in uh, Merced or you know Bakersfield or Fresno, for example, it, it, it um, 
and they they talk about people not working, businesses aren't doing well, businesses are going bankrupt still. Uh, you know, the the one size fits all laws of the state of California are very difficult when it comes to uh, dealing with uh, you know these these areas of the state that aren't performing well. So you listen to those, and and you have to have some empathy, as we would hope that if. You know, for example, if I'm talking about something that's going on in my district, and I have about, you know, when the Lake County fire was there and mm-hmm. the Napa earthquake, and we were trying to get programs uh, and forgiveness uh, or extensions of tax payments and those type of things for small business or re- trying to recoup money for local government, you want you want your colleagues around the state to have some empathy for your community, too. We talked uh, maybe a year or so ago about the drought situation in California and water policy. That situation has changed quite a bit thanks to a pretty good winter and a pretty good improvement in the snowpack and a bunch of rain that still seems to be happening. Talk a little bit about what's going on now in terms of, of state water policy, the governor's uh, desire for these tunnels, and, and, and where you are in all of this. Well, first of all, while we've had a good El Nino we still don't have the infrastructure in place to be able to adequately take the water that's flowing down the Sacramento River or up the San Joaquin River out into the Carquina Straits and out the Golden Gate Bridge. And um, we know that we're an arid state. You know, we've been, you know, in, in in my lifetime, I can certainly remember the big, big droughts from I don't know, I think it was '75 to '78, '79. And remember, in the late 1990s and the early 2000s, we're going to continue to have this. And so, we have to even if the, even if the rain, uh, you know, a, a lot of the reservoirs are full, but in some areas they're not. You look at Berryessa. I was noticing the other night. I can't remember how many feet it was behind below the glory hole, but it was significant. I, I you know, think it was like 30 or 40 feet still. And uh, that's the way it is on. You know, a lot of these different reservoirs throughout the state. So we're always going to be, we should always be, you know, looking towards uh, the future in our need to uh, do a better job with water management. A great example of this is Israel. I mean, they have a pattern of uh, drought and uh, rains kind of similar to what we have in the state of California. Not exactly, but, you know, it was about 10, 15, probably 15 years ago now, they had a deficit in the, in the region about you know, 30% below. I mean, they were just what they needed, and it was just horrible, and everyone was cutting back. Today they actually have a surplus of water because of water management techniques, uh, storage, water reclamation, uh, and also desalinization. And... Uh, they know how to do it. They've been doing it. There's no reason why we can't do it. We have to start. We've been doing that in Napa. Uh, Keith Caldwell and I was uh, partnering with Keith on this. Uh, the Millican Sarcotulake. That's something that uh, you know that we need to continue to be doing more of. You know, not only in Napa but all throughout the state of California. So, in you know the sites reservoir, we had Prop Two just about three years ago. We've got the money. Uh, here at the state from a big bond that the, the voters passed, we need to make sure that that gets put to work. And at least north, that site's reservoir, 
up there. Actually, it's just north of my district in Calusa County, um, where that Sites Reservoir is. That's that's a big start, and that's something that uh, will help farmers. It'll help groundwater storage. It'll also help the fish by you know getting colder water to the Sacramento River sooner than they can possibly get it out of uh, you know Lake Shasta. Talk a little bit about the varying needs of the district. The potential state senate district is a large district. Are the needs different in different parts of the district, or is there some unity to all of this as you see it, as you've traveled around the district? You know, right now in my assembly district, I would say that they're really uh, different, depending upon where you go. Uh, For example, Lake County, you know, prior to the fire, that community was one of the most disadvantaged communities mm-hmm. in the state of California, let alone in my district. And certainly one of the largest geographical counties. Um, but they have the high, they had one of the highest unemployment rates. They have one of the highest per capita social service rates in the state of California. You know, the high, one of the highest per capita, you know, drug, you know, and alcohol um, uh, abuse rates. Mm-hmm. One of the highest arrest rates. And um, let me tell you, just in a year and a half, I have really, like even before the fire, I really have an affinity for a lot of those people up there and the help that they need uh, in so many areas socially. And then when the fire hit, uh, their senator up there is Mike McGuire from over in Santa Rosa. And he's he's also a former county supervisor that I got to know when I was on the board of supervisors. He was Sonoma, and I was obviously Napa. And we have really, really worked hard for them, and it's been a real labor of love. So there, that area is, is really significantly different than most of the areas in the district. And then you go over to Calusa County. I mean, most people don't even recognize or realize that I right. have you know those those areas. But, you know, with uh Williams uh Arbuckle and um you know these are small farming communities and so they've got you know pretty well off farmers that are all up in the area but a lot of the workers and people that you know own businesses in the community and everything uh you know it, it it's tough and so these are small rural communities and just like Lake County another example is is their access to health care is also really, really poor. And in, in, in so many ways, uh, you know, the reason is, and I'm not disparaging any, you know, particularly any community in my district, but, uh, you, know, you know, it's pretty tough to get a doc to want to relocate to Arbuckle or in some cases to um, Lakeport, you know, when in fact that they could have a practice, you know, in Sonoma or, Right. You know, Napa or St. Helena. Um, and so access to health care is a huge problem in the state. And I think people in Napa are even seeing that, uh, you know, from time to time as they try to access their primary health care uh, provider. And, you know, unless you're at, at Kaiser, a lot of the times you're seeing the nurse practitioner in your doctor's office. Right. But in, in a lot of these rural counties, they don't have either. 
I want to talk a little bit about a subject that I know is near and dear to your heart because you've been involved with it for so long, and that is transportation here in California and how we're approaching that, whether we're doing it in the right way and, and what your thoughts are. Well, you know, I, I think that is, I think the biggest thing we have, the biggest thing we have to do, in, in my view, is fix the state of repair of our road mm-hmm. infrastructure system, both at the state highway level, the county roads, and the city roads. Cities, counties, and state have to work in concert to find a solution to this problem. Because as I stated earlier, it is costing us so much money uh, at an accelerated rate that it, it pales in comparison to what, for example, our affordable housing problem. We need billions in in money to help for affordable housing. We need billions of dollars to help for our homeless. I'm saying that we will have that kind of money if we can start getting our roads and streets in repair and stop this huge acceleration of costs that have just gone up almost by double over the last 10 years. And so I, th- I think I think I, I think that's it. Also. Um, you know, we've got to you look at look at our investments and in our transit systems everywhere, and I think it's got to be a fix it first. You know, the idea that we're putting on, you know, new systems and new routes, and then letting other segments of the same system, you know, deteriorate does not make a lot of sense to me. Right. And we've got to find a way to run the system that we have right now the most efficiently before we invest more. And and I'm saying that also with our roads. And is high-speed rail part of that equation, or should it be? You know, it was really interesting. I had an editorial interview yesterday down in the East Bay, and uh, that question came up. And while I am really disappointed that the routes, I you know, even going back to my days on MTC as, uh, as the plan came together for the initiative for uh, – high-speed rail that passed the voters in the state of California, I was supportive of it. I was supportive of what it would do and electrify, you know, Caltrain from San Francisco all the way to San Jose, how much better that would be for the environment so it's not spewing, you know, carbon. Uh, I like the idea of, um, you know, getting into the Central Valley from San Jose, you know, 45 minutes instead of a two-hour, you know, commute. Maybe some people could live out in the Central Valley and telecommute on some days but have to come in on other days and not have to buy million-dollar homes. So I think that there's – I think there was a lot of good about it in my mind, like environmental. We're going to have arguably over the next 30 years, you know, we're going to have a third more people in the state of California. We're going to have 55, 60 million people here is, you know, is what's projected over the next 20 or 30 years. And um, you're not going to be able to cite any more uh, international or even you know, any type of regional type of airports like Oakland or San Diego or San Jose, for heaven's sakes. And so I think that I've been on high-speed rail in a lot of places, and I really thought it was uh, you know, pretty darn good. And I think it would be a viable way to, of moving people here. But the way you know, there was some political deal that was done in the Central Valley – and instead of bringing it up the I-5 corridor where the state of California, the people, already own the land, mm-hmm. and not through all these cities where you have to buy right away 
at expensive city prices, and then you have to do grade separation so that the train is on a different plane of the you know the community traffic. I mean, the cost of this has just been outrageous in my view. But the, the fact of the matter is that's what the this goes back to ballot initiatives. That's what the people voted on, and <laughs> you know you're not gonna you're not gonna change that. Uh, the route has been changed. The, the you know the way the the system is gonna be. Uh, the, the route hasn't changed, but the uh, uh, segmentation or the um, scheduling of what gets built first has been has been changed, but the initiative hasn't been changed substantially. So it is going to be expensive, but again, I think it's a lousy pun, but the train has already left the station. This governor is in, intent on uh, making this happen as part of his legacy. And uh, for that, you know, this is maybe something our generation can leave behind for future generations. I think people will be thanking us for it. And finally, when when you originally ran for the assembly, a lot of people said to you, and I know we talked briefly about the fact that, you know, why does anyone want to go to Sacramento, given what's been going on up there? Now, uh, a couple of years into it, how has the process been? Have you enjoyed it? And obviously, you, you want to keep doing it. Yeah, you know, I have enjoyed it. Uh, I'm amazed at uh, um, the work that you can do here. I'm amazed at... Uh, um, the work ethic here uh, and the amount of work that actually goes in here, I think people would be very, very surprised. Frankly, I was. Um, but more so, I think that um, as, as, as I've seen what I was able to accomplish with my bill package in year one and my bill package you know, this year and how, how all my bills are going so far this year, I really believe that I can be effective and start hitting those goals to, you know, improving our quality of life for people that are here now and most certainly doing things to make sure that, uh, you know, the next generation or two is not having to pay the big bill on our behalf. Assemblyman Bill Dodd, candidate for the state Senate in District 3. Bill, I thank you so much for spending some time with us. Jeff, it's always a pleasure. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to NapaBroadcasting.com.